0: In this episode, I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk with Rohir Verhost, the head of marketing research at LinkedIn. During this conversation, Rohir shares his own career path, specifically how he took a pay cut and a demotion for two years to try a different career path before ending up as the head of marketing research at LinkedIn. Later on in the interview, he talks about what he looks for in marketing researches for his team. And specifically, the three C's of interviewing, conviction, curiosity, and creativity. And finally, at the end of the episode today, we get to talk about Rohir's new book, The Business of Marketing Research. Rohir was generous enough to offer a 29% discount specifically for listeners of this podcast. And you can get that discount by going to diggingforinsights.com slash 23, since this is episode 23 of the podcast. I hope that the conversation about careers, about building a research team, and best practices for keeping up your skills will help you grow your career. This is Digging for Insights, the marketing research podcast for insights professionals and businesses looking to deeply understand their customers so they can grow. I'm Stephen Griffiths. A Fortune 500 corporate researcher, join me as we talk with experts about inspiring case studies, career advice, and research methods that will lead to growth. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Rogier Verhust, who is the head of marketing research at LinkedIn. With 20 years of experience in market research and analytics on the vendor and client side, Rogier has extensive experience in customer experience management, brand, product, and advertising research, and big data. For the last four years, he has been leading market research for LinkedIn, overseeing all research for the company as part of a central team. Rohir recently co-authored a textbook, The Business of Marketing Research, in August of last year.
1: Rohir, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here and uh, excited to uh, to chat to you about uh, market research. Good. I'm glad to have you on the
0: podcast as well. A lot of times I have talked to many people in the consumer goods space and so super excited to hear your perspective in the digital one and specifically with uh, social media. Could you talk a little bit about your career path? You know, looking at some of your background on LinkedIn, you've had quite the career I believe you were a restaurant manager in the 1990s, and now you're the head of marketing research at LinkedIn. Do you want to talk a little bit about your career evolution and some of the key pivotal experiences you've had over your career?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started out in the 90s when I was back in college and took courses in in sort of economics and and marketing. I was really drawn to kind of the intersection between sort of psychology, mathematics, and, and marketing. And really, kind of found my passion early on in my career around sort of market research and data analytics. You know, I have a little bit of an atypical career in the sense that, you know, to get to college, I, I was waiting tables sort of part time and ultimately you know, become, became a little too serious. And so I, you know, I started doing, spending more time in a restaurant. Than I was spending uh, time reading books. And so I moved up to like a restaurant manager. But But the interesting thing about that experience is that, like, waiting tables and dealing with people kind of early on in my career gave me a lot of perspective on sort of human psychology and human behavior. And so you get like a broad spectrum of people or guests in your in your in your restaurant. And, and so some people are are easier to to manage than other people, but they actually gave me some great experience around how you deal with people. But it also gave me a lot of experience and how do you juggle, you know, fairly stressful situations and, and like when there's high demand and your peak demand. How do you manage your time effectively? So it gave me some some pretty important, I think, life skills. And, and it just taught me to work hard. So yeah, it was a really interesting experience. Really enjoyed it. Obviously, it wasn't my, my destiny and had an opportunity in the late 90s to come to the US and um, was really drawn to kind of the first.com boom and really tried to experience what it's like to, uh, to be part of this sort of revolution that's still kind of unfolding but it allowed me to move to an entirely new culture, right? I, I grew up in a Dutch culture, but being able to then witness a new culture and, and see the perspective of that culture versus my own culture kind of helped put things a little bit more in perspective. And, and, and the contest was really interesting to learn from. So, and from there on, you know, I've, I've played many different roles, both in the agency side, but also on the client side, working uh, in the early days for a company called Research International, which got acquired by Kantar. And ultimately, uh, that led to a strong engagement with Microsoft. It was one of our clients and I was fortunate to, uh, to get a job there in sort of the mid-2000s. But yeah, up until like 2000, I'd say 2008, it's mostly uh, in-market research. But then LinkedIn sort of came around. Uh, it was a small company at the time, you know, still a startup. And I, I really wanted to have that sort of entrepreneurial experience and had the chance to work at LinkedIn setting up a new business focused around kind of b2b sampling we tried to be a b2b sample for the market research industry and so it was really interesting to kind of grow that business unfortunately it was it was never going to be a large business it would have absorbed into other business lines as the company grew but from there on it allowed me to play lots of different roles within the company on both the product side the sales side and the data analytical side and so it really helped me grow my data analytical skills, which became very handy as sort of big data started to, uh, to come on, on the stage and as a, as a thing that, you now needed to, to grapple with as well. And so how do you query large databases? How do you distill insights from that information and combine that with some of the primary research? So it gave me a great experience. It also allowed me to work in, in product and, and get more product experience and try to understand like, how does a product development process actually work. How do you spec a particular product? How do you bring it to market? How do you market it? And so it gave me a really sort of good understanding of what that process looks like and and build empathy around product development process. And, you know, up until like recently, only a few years ago, I sort of came back to market research. But having had all these experiences made me a much stronger researcher in the end. You know, and also, I think in terms of like, it it allows you to give your perspective of like how your end stakeholder your end customer is thinking and like, what are the insights that they need to make more effective decisions, but being able to kind of put yourself in their shoes, because you've been walking those shoes for many years, I think allowed me to be a a more effective leader and, and researcher.
0: Wow. That's fascinating. You know, a lot of people that we talk to on the podcast have spent their entire careers in marketing research or consumer insights. And I think what's fascinating about your conversation is, and your path is that it's so varied, right? I don't know if you're familiar with David Epstein, but he has a book out that basically talks about how specialization can actually be a hindrance and that getting lots of different perspectives, especially early in your career can be critical. And it sounds like you have that, like you, you had a sales experience, you've had product marketing experience, and then coming back, to market research, it, it sounds like maybe you're the stronger because of it.
1: Exactly, yeah. No, it's actually funny you mentioned. I just res- recently read that book as well, ranged by David Epstein. And yeah, one thing that really resonated out of the book is like, you know, some of the cases, he, he has m- many great cases, but one of the cases, like, you know, some of the best musicians in the world are not the musicians who kind of early on tried to specialize with one instrument, but the ones that are the most successful are oftentimes the musicians that have been exposed to a broad range of different instruments. And many of them actually you know, couldn't even read notes. The way they learned and taught their brains to pick up music is very atypical, but it allowed them to be, I think, a stronger music- musician because they sort of approached it in a very sort of atypical way. But yeah, know it's a great book. I uh, highly recommend it for, for your listeners. I'm glad you brought it up. But I would definitely sort of describe myself as like up until, you know, very recently, I, I actually really didn't know like what my my fit was and, and what what's the right match for me. And, uh, you know, up until like recently, I found like the matches market research and, you know, product marketing maybe, but that is really where I feel like the most comfortable in. And so, but as you're a young aspiring professional, you should really try and get as many experiences as you can early on and then try out new things. Because I do think there's too many researchers, particularly market researchers, tend to be a little bit more comfortable in in sort of their environment. But I think it is going to create limitations in terms of, empathizing with, with a particular customer or client, being able to really tease out the so what and the now what. And so that range is really, I think, helps you to kind of see a broader perspective, but also not get stuck in your own kind of tool set of like, let's solve everything with a survey, but being able to look at the problem more realistically and then figure out, okay, what is the actually right solution to get to the right answer? And it may not be market research. It may, it may, be, it may be coming from a very different source.
0: No, that's exactly right. And I I think too often, we as researchers do have a specific toolkit that we like to rely on and remembering there's a lot broader world out there and we need to be be flexible in order to answer the business questions we're facing. I am curious, as I think about your career, were there any few moments that you're maybe nervous about the next step, like going from research to product marketing or any sort of moments that come up in terms of like, wow, I'm not sure if I'm making the right choice here and curious to hear how that went.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is about five or six years ago, I was sort of at this crossroad where I felt at that point that I really wanted to be a product manager. And so I, I was trying hard to get into that area, which in the tech industry is really, it's a really hard space to get into. It's, I wouldn't say elitist, but it's, it's kind of a leak on its own. And and most of the product management tech companies sort of call the shots. I was really struggling to get in. I didn't have an engineering background. I didn't have an MBA from, you know, reputable in university and, and so I had a lot of things kind of going against me and I was trying to get into it. And it was a little bit of a risk because I, at that point I was leading a large team. I was actually stepping back from that and going back to an individual contributor role, working in product as an product operations manager, and then kind of straddling a little bit of the product manager and product marketing space but was struggling to sort of get recognized and enjoyed it. But I also kind of felt like coming out of that process that maybe this isn't really for me. I, I tended to fall back into why I love I love solving problems with data and then coming up with cases for why we should make decision A over B. And so that ultimately then led me back to market research. But it was just a great experience, but it was definitely high risk in the sense that I had to take a step back from Kind of where I was, I actually had to take a pay cut and basically allowing it to do in, in you know, to, to sort of grow my career into a different direction. But sometimes you have to make those trade-offs. They're really hard for a lot of people that are uncomfortable. I think people optimize for compensation, uh, prestige, but having the humility, I think to say like, wait a minute, is this really still what makes me excited and passionate? I think you should always kind of overemphasize and put a premium on, on a job that is fulfilling. And, you know, try to pursue your, your passion and, and not be too worried about kind of the downside risk. At the end of the day, everything will work out fine as long as you just find really where your match is.
0: I really like what you've said there in terms of going after your passion and what really excites you from day to day rather than just compensation. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast aren't super eager to take a pay cut and a responsibility decrease, right, in order to go after something else and awesome to hear that, that worked out for you and ultimately gave you the insight you need to become the, you know, lead for marketing research that you are today. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what made it extra hard, that decision, I should add this, is like, I, you know, I had two young children and, and, a, and a wife who wasn't working at the time. So it was, you know, it was it was a tough, tough decision, but I, I'm glad I did it because it just gave me a broader perspective. So I would do it again in a heartbeat.
0: I'm curious, what was the uh, conversation like with your wife? I know other people who have family members who are also, you know, counting on someone for income. Was that a little bit of a hard conversation in terms of, hey, I'm going to take a pay cut, take a responsibility cut. I hope you're okay with that
1: yeah I mean, look, I think it was hard for her to accept it, and it was definitely you know we struggled a little bit for the first you know two years in terms of just making it work financially but you know i th- I think she appreciated my courage to do that, and you know she gave me the space to do it but yeah it's a it's a it's a challenging conversation the other thing that i I told her like, look let's try this for two. Years. I set myself a goal of like, let's try this for two years. If it doesn't work, I'll go back. And I was confident enough that I was going to be able to go back into a more senior role, a little bit back into my own, you know, the space that I, I sort of grown up in.
0: Makes sense. You know, you mentioned going into a more senior role. I imagine as head of marketing research, you've also had a lot of hiring decisions in terms of building a team and who do you bring on board to LinkedIn? Who do you bring on to your team? You know, there are a lot of people listening to this podcast that are either in career transition or you know, looking to interview for new marketing research jobs. Any advice that you have from your experiences of interviewing people as a hiring manager of what you know, advice you'd give to others?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously we're in a really difficult climate right now where, you know, some companies are hiring and doing tremendously well, but a lot of companies are, are struggling, particularly in retail or, you know, if you're in the hotel industry, travel industry. You know, my, my advice is to, Obviously I have an open mind to it, but also this is the time I think for people to reflect and, and make a pivot. I mean, there's some great ways in which you can learn new skills. Obviously, we have our own LinkedIn learning library that you can you can subscribe to. There are many ways I think in terms of like looking a little bit outside of maybe the traditional area looking into. I think what I found over the years is that you know, if you're in market research, actually it can be fairly effective as well in data analytics. And so you can pursue that particular path. You you know, at the old at the end of the day, it's the overarching scale is problem solving. And so whether you're solving problems with a survey or solving it with data, behavioral data, or data that's collected in, in other forums, you're still kind of solving problems. And so, you know, you, you can actually expand into into other areas, with, so the additional class you can take in terms of how do you create databases, how do you do analytics with, with larger data sets. But the beauty of a market research is it, it, it really sort of teaches you how to solve problems and how to tackle, you know, something that's fairly abstract and boil it down to sort of a little bit more concrete. So, yeah, I would would recommend that, you know, if you're struggling to find a job right now in my research to kind of maybe use as an opportunity to look a little bit outside the field into adjacent fields. I think the other thing that I I personally have learned over the years, I've hired many people, is I think the people that ultimately succeed and, and excel are people that I call have sort of the three C's. They either have like a tremendous amount of curiosity and they demonstrate a, a tremendous amount of curiosity in a you know, wide variety of topics. People have strong conviction. So they believe in themselves, they believe in what the research is telling them, and use that to influence stakeholders. I think mean, this is one of the things that in the client side, oftentimes undervalue, but like the ability to not just do the research and be fantastic at analytics, but being able then to communicate effectively. What the insights mean for the organization, and have very strong conviction around your case, and not be afraid to have a maybe more provocative or, or counterintuitive point, is so critical. I think to particularly people in kind of the client side of the house, and then the last C is kind of creativity. So the ability to look at a particular problem, but come in with like different points of view of how you can solve it. And also being creative in terms of how you convey the information back to the organization, the ability to tell a story or package it around a particular story that resonates, I think, requires a you know great amount of creativity. So those are kind of the three C's: curiosity, creativity, and and conviction. And conviction also, I think, what's related as just like passion and motivation. Like you can tell when you interview someone if if that person is really excited and fired up about what they're doing. So I think those are the things that over the years that I, I I look at when I hire. And it may be slightly different if you're hiring on the agency side, but I'd say those are the things that are really important. Super helpful.
0: Any sort of watchouts in terms of maybe mistakes or not such great things you see in some of your interviews or the candidate process that you might give out as tips to others as they go through?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Hiring is, is really tough. You know, I, I have to admit I've, I've hired fantastic people, but I've also hired people that I thought were going to be fantastic and then they ended up not being fantastic. It's a little bit of a hit and miss if it's really hard to like get a gauge on someone from like a couple of interviews in terms of like how that individual is actually going to perform when you put them in the environment, despite the fact that that individual may have had a great track record or has done things very well in the past. You know, we try to sort of recreate that environment of like what it would be if we put that person in a role. And so we do quite a few ex- exercises and try to put them in an environment where they presenting to real stakeholders. To really sort of tease out the people that are, are the strongest, I mean it's hard to tell like why people typically fail, and I think again it goes down to like the free Cs, but it also comes down to just obviously capacity and, and motivation and and you know that that's something you can sort of glean from an interview but it's it's, a, it's a just a really tough process and both for the candidate and for the hiring manager
0: yeah. No, I totally get it. You know, it's interesting as I've talked to other friends who are in the job market right now, how interview styles completely differ from industry to industry and company to company. Everything from, you know, short half hour conversations that similar to what you've talked about earlier, all the way to, you know, someone presenting a case study to 20 people in a room as part of the interview process. And I think, you know, I think interviewers need to be ready for that.
1: I think one of the things that I will admit when come back to like failure, I think great number of people suffer from the similarity bias or the me bias and it's really hard to break that bias but when you hire someone you try to you you, you generally will create more likability towards someone who thinks or talks like you and so early on in my career i, I recognized and i made a big mistake I, I started hiring too many people that started looking like me talking like me and then before you know it you've got like five or six guys they all look like me and they all talk like me and then you know And then you recognize actually what you suffer the most from is like you lack creativity, you lack the ability to think outside the box and be able to create an organization that's innovative and comes up with new ideas. So we've fundamentally shifted our strategy over the last few years to really look for that diverse talent. And diversity can come in in many different ways. So whether it's obviously different ethnicity, different gender, but also from backgrounds that are sort of non-traditional, people that may have not gone to... Prestigious colleges. that may not have gone to, you know, may have come from smaller rural towns in the U.S. and have they brought up in a very different culture, but I have a very unique perspective on on members, particularly as LinkedIn is trying to appeal to a much larger group of professionals, not just the white professional or the the high-paying jobs. who try to appeal to everyone, and so being able to hire from like different walks of life. I personally have made failures in 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 my my life that I'm trying to correct for.
0: No, that's awesome. And I love how you mentioned how diversity comes in many ways. It's not just what on the census qualifies as diversity, but diversity of experience and opinion and perspective. And I think those are also important to keep in mind. Good. So transitioning a little bit, you know, I recognize that you recently co-authored a textbook, The Business of Marketing Research. Do you want to talk a little bit about what inspired you to get into the textbook writing business?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was invited by one of the other co-authors to to write this book. And and the reason he wanted to bring me in with a third person was that he wanted to really create a book. And I, I, I agree with him on this that a book that is sort of looking at market research from the perspective of the client, the agency, and academia, or is steeped in academia and sciences. And so by bringing us together, we each sort of had our own kind of views and strengths from each of those different areas. And so when we looked at the literature, we felt like what's lacking in the market research sort of literature is, is like a book that sort of looks at market research from all these different angles. You know, oftentimes you'll find a book that's really heavy on methodology, but fails to describe how you actually communicate effectively the insights to stakeholders or fails to sort of go deeper on like, how do you actually make sure you're solving for the right problem? And also oftentimes I felt like, the research books were lacking some of the fundamental areas that most companies do research in which is around brand customer satisfaction or customer loyalty product research advertising research and a, a lot of the books would talk about gen- in general about these different techniques but wouldn't put it in the perspective of well how do you actually solve these big problems that every company is is trying to solve for and so we try to make the book Highly practical and appealing for a broad range of people, whether they're even when they're in, not even in market research and product marketeers, or people that are beginning in market research, or, or like even intermediate market researchers. And we also try to hit on on things that are a little bit more um, kind of new emerging trends. So, for example, neuroscience has been a field that's been developing very rapidly over the last few years. Had a little bit of a bad rap, I think, in the early days, but you know, the science and technology is coming a long way. But when you combine like things like eye tracking and ECG, you actually can find some really f- fascinating insights and very rich insights that you wouldn't normally get from traditional surveys. So yeah, we try to be current and, and tackle it from a kind of a practical approach. So that was the inspiration behind it. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I mean, so as part of this interview, I got a copy of your book and was able to read it. I felt like it was dramatically different as well. So, you know, I did... Business minor in undergrad, and then did a marketing research MBA program from the University of Wisconsin Madison. So pretty familiar with the the classic marketing research textbooks. And I just felt like your book was uh, a breath of fresh air in terms of being practical. I, I think you've nailed it pretty well there. I know. So I've spent the last five years at General Mills, and you know, seeing how brand research and you know communications research and a lot of different things are done in actual businesses, right, in Fortune 500 companies. And I was shocked to see like how many of your chapters were exactly the kind of stuff that I've seen in in board meetings over the last years, both at General Mills and at Nielsen and at PNG, where I've been before. So I just felt like, wow, I would have loved to have this so that as a college student, I would have been able to see what real research is like. And selfishly, I keep it as a reference at my desk, right? Just because I've seen research before doesn't mean I know exactly how to conduct it if I if it's been a while. And so I find that it's a really helpful resource to you know, look at specific chapters and, and refresh on how I should approach this or how should I be thinking about this. I'm curious, as I hear about the role that you played versus your other co-authors, how do you think you added value in a perspective that maybe others didn't have?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a fairly collaborative process. So we, you know, we, there were certain chapters that each of us leaned in more heavily. So I, you know, with my background, I leaned a little bit heavier on the kind of customer satisfaction side. A little bit heavier on product research and advertising effectiveness, and also a little bit heavier on kind of how you take insights to stakeholders and and the storytelling aspects of it. But it was a fairly like highly collaborative process where none of us like almost single handedly wrote one single chapter. I think we all tried to weave in our own perspectives, you know, making sure it's steeped in academia and and science, but also making sure it has the agency lens or it has the, the client lens. And so, I think it was a highly sort of collaborative in, in, in engagement. And I think, you know, we each kind of contributed about a third to the book. And so it's, you know, it's, I, I think the way we went about it was, I think, the right way because it, it created something that is cohesive, though we all have kind of a little bit different styles of writing. I think it did bring together, I think, a fairly comprehensive and integrated view of what practical market research looks like. So yeah, no, I'm glad to hear you, you enjoyed it, Stephen, and uh, I hope many other people will will enjoy it.
0: Yeah, no, I found it very helpful. I'm curious, as people are listening to this podcast and interested in learning more, what are some of the places people can go to to buy a copy of the book or learn more about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can you can buy on Amazon. You can also buy directly from the publisher. The main sort of core focus for us is is the academic world, and so you know it has a great number of materials behind it as well, quizzes and examples, and so in academia, it's being you know we're trying to get it into the market research curriculum but yeah it is appealing for everyone you know you can go on amazon or coccnella and get to copy yourself
0: well that's great well i'll get a link from you and put that in the show notes and that'll be at diggingforinsights.com. you'll be able to access those show notes there. Well, my guest today has been Roger Verhust, who's the head of marketing research at LinkedIn. Thank you so much for making time today.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks, Steven. Until next time, I'm wishing you the best as you dig for insights that will grow your career and your business.